0: Let's turn to to Job chapter 42. Now, these first six verses really were included in the last time, but I'm going to read them just to get the the flow of the chapter here. And uh, then we'll look, look at the questions. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes." And it came about after, about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. <clears throat> now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do to you, with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job When he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they ate bread with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of money and each a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, and 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And he named the first Jemima, and the second Keziah, and the third Karenhapuk. And in all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. So we'll just take a little time here to uh, see what... all thought about some of these questions question number one we are told that job spoke what is right concerning god that's in verse seven and eight even though he had obviously said some wrong things in what way was job right and his friends wrong in what way was job right and his friends wrong
1: there, there might be other things, but uh, Job was not being punished for sin. And uh, friends, that was the accusation.
0: Okay. Did you all hear that? They were accusing, saying Job, telling Job that he was being punished for sin, and that was wrong. He was not being punished for sin. What else? Or anything else? When,
2: when, when, uh, Job responded to his calamities. He responded with the words given, taken away blessings mm-hmm. And he uh, rebuked his wife for uh, counsel. Curse God. God. Mm-hmm. And so his his attitude uh, started right
0: Right. Remember that the basic thing that the friends were saying their theology was deficient in the idea that um, sin brings suffering. You're suffering, therefore you must have sinned. Was their the, their theology in a nutshell? And it was deficient. It was erroneous. And because they started from that premise, they said all kinds of things that were wrong about Job. And uh, even their basic attitude toward Job was wrong, so I think I think those are uh, the main things that should come to mind in relationship to that first question. Let's go on. Though Job had repented, his losses were not restored until after he had prayed for his friends. Do you think the sequence is important, and why? <laughs> We know it's important because it's obvious that the way the, the, the verse, verse 10 is worded brings that out so clearly. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. I mean, it, the, the Scripture is very clear that there's uh, emphasis there. All right, someone? Andy? I'm sure he did. I'm sure that was part... Uh, of his prayer, um, he ha- he had repented there's no question about that because that 's what happens in the first part of the chapter and yet like this is a this is a a manifest outward manifestation of the reality of the, of what went on in his heart in repentance and uh so I think that I think that there is a um, clear uh emphasis on the sequence there. Any well, anyone else on that one? What was he praying? For? What was he praying for him? Well, I think he was praying that God would not judge them according to their foolishness, because that's what it says in the verse. Um, let's see, verse eight. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to the servant, my servant Job, offer up burnt offerings, and my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that. I may not do with you according to your folly. I think he probably prayed play, along those lines.
2: Prayed for mercy. Yeah. Right. I Don't. had a note that probably came from you at some time that uh, Matthew Henry said, in seeking mercy for others, we often find mercy ourselves.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to use that quote again tonight. Well, there's a, a New Testament verse that says, Yeah, I think it shows partly Job's realization. You know, I've been wrong in some of what I've said. And these guys are wrong, but we both need forgiveness. And uh, another thought along those lines is just that a forgiven person will be a forgiving person. And that's what was going on here. And and God was bringing that uh, out clearly in Job's life well let's go on to 3 verse 11 speaks of the evil that the Lord had brought on Job how do you interpret this especially in light of Satan's role in Job's suffering and sorrow we've, we've hit around on this one a number of times uh, during this uh, tour of this book but I didn't think it would hurt to, to uh, bring it up once again because it is Uh, quite a phrase there that uh, is used and they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him verse 11 how do you understand that Jim
2: well ultimately God is was sought
0: Okay, um, I, I think you're certainly heading in the right direction there. Um, another thing to consider is that there's various ways that sometimes this word is translated. Uh, yeah, some, some translations would put adversity there, and that makes it a little easier to uh, understand concerning God's doing it, um, or calamity sometimes. Uh, calamity in, in various places. Uh, the word that could be translated evil is also translated calamity. So um, I think that's part of the answer, also. Anyone else? Yes. I saw some other. Charles? It's
2: interesting that it does say the Lord. Here, it's, here the scripture says the Lord did it. Mm. Back when Joseph said, Blessed be the name of the Lord, he was apparently saying the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maurice, you had something?
2: Oh, I was thinking in the context of his brothers and sisters the family, and family, uh, I guess in their viewpoint, healing the evil could be uh, adverse or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. In all you've done is it's probably control of all these things. Right. But if I was good. it, was adverse.
0: right. I, I do think we also, and we've talked about this before, but it is important to recognize what some theologians call the reality of second causes. In other words, there was real evil that was done to Job, and that the the immediate cause of that evil was Satan. Ultimately, in back of that, you have God allowing these things. But you cannot, you cannot not recognize the, the evil of it and also not attribute that, that evil to Satan, not to God. In other words, um, one of the things that doesn't come up in the whole uh, discussion between Job and his friends and in Job's mind or in the friend's mind was the reality of the work of the devil. It just never comes up. And Job even talks about the injustice he sees in the world and, and the things that are, are not right. And he says, if the Lord hasn't done it, who has? Well, we as Christians in the, in the New Testament context would say, well, you've you got to factor in the reality of, of the evil one. There is an evil one. It doesn't mean there's a dual system where God and the devil are fighting it out and you don't know who's going to win. It's not like that. But nevertheless, those things that Satan did are truly evil. And so it's a, it is a, um, an inscrutable area. When you, when you really try to take it back as far as you can, you get to a place where you say, I don't understand this. All I know is that God's good and Satan is evil. And you just have to leave it there. And you know that God's in control. And that's what the Bible teaches. All right. Well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Uh, The book ends with Job being vindicated and his losses restored here on earth. Is this what we are told to expect in the New Testament Scriptures? Explain. One
1: thought I thought of right away was the uh, parable that Christ told of Lazarus and the rich man. He he was a beggar all his life. Uh But uh, he belonged to the Lord. All right. So Christ himself did not leave that expectation. All right.
0: Uh, someone else. That's one good example. Really, there's oh, almost the whole New Testament is the answer to this. But Go ahead, David. Do you have something?
2: Well, I was thinking of two verses, but uh, one in particular there in Matthew, where Jesus himself is blessed are who and then persecute. Them. So that he's actually giving a blessing, or proclaiming a blessing on those who are being persecuted
0: and, so, and what's and what's the rest of the verse great is your
2: great is your reward
0: in heaven, right, right right in heaven we're not expected to see the reward of that here in this life but in heaven anyone else on that one suzanne um mark ten twenty nine that
1: says uh, jesus said truly i to you there's no sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or farms, for my sake, and such else will say, but that he will receive a hundred times
0: as much now, in the present age and have his brothers and sisters, and mothers and children in farms, along with persecutions, and an age, the, the kind of family. Okay, so you're bringing out a little bit of the other side, that sometimes there are very clear benefits uh, that we can see in this life, although uh, usually they are of a spiritual nature. Back in Job's time, the emphasis more was on the external, the physical uh, blessings of God. Here in this life, the emphasis of the New Testament is that the rewards and the blessings are primarily spiritual, and they are in uh, in the age to come. Anyone else on that one? Go ahead okay yeah yeah there's there's just a lot of them someone else jim oh yeah (laughs) all right Uh, number five one writer said god's concern for the salvation of men and women is part of a larger cosmic struggle between God and Satan, in which the outcome is certain while the struggle is horrible. Another commentator said, This book should make us tremble a little. Would you agree with these statements? Why or why not? I think was the struggle. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Um so you would disagree somewhat with the way that was worded. A struggle between God and Satan, in which the outcome is certain while the struggle is horrible. Uh, well, I
1: think it's, 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 there is that uh, struggle that
0: the Right, There You don't get the feel of any struggle uh in relationship there to the first two chapters of Job, there's no struggle there, and even if you, especially if you take uh, Leviathan the way I took him, took it last time, God doesn't have any struggle. We have a struggle. We can't deal with Leviathan. God doesn't have any. He he leads him around with a, with a hook in his nose. Uh, but from our standpoint, I think we can say sometimes the struggle does seem pretty horrible, pretty bad. Uh, what about the second part? This book should make us tremble a little. I don't think Joe was
1: meant to make us tremble. I think it's meant to make us, make us comfort, so that God's
0: in control of this. All right. So you don't like that statement either.
1: I can see the... All right. You know, and that when circumstances are
0: whirling around us to trust Him, but just His power <clears> here, uh, I think I've a little bit there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's some other areas. Charles?
2: Well, you could also have the thought that if God would put Job through this kind of thing before he even had the revelation of the New Testament mm-hmm. and of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit what he expect us to go through.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's more along the lines of, of what uh, I think the person that wrote that was, was getting at. Shin. Jesus also
2: teaches that uh, don't worry about tomorrow, you know, for
0: today. It's
2: strength in nature for today. Yeah, yeah. Just live. Maybe something
0: that in the future but we know can go through. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. There's some some thoughts on both sides on those. Alright, we'll go on to the last one then. In brief, what have you personally learned from the book of Job? What you know I, What has stood out to you uh, in terms of the teaching that's there, the revelation that God has given us through this book for your own life? And, uh, you know, there could be lots of different answers for this, so we'll just hopefully hear two or three anyway.
2: Throughout the book, it talks about, and supports that fact that he was righteous, but his own righteousness did nothing for his salvation. In fact, I believe he was not saved until the very end when he repented. Uh, and the only righteousness that we really have is in Christ. And it doesn't say that, either, but it implies that our righteousness in and of itself is not enough.
0: All right. He definitely... Lapsed into some self righteousness. There's no question about that. Um, And there are a few commentators that take the position that you're taking there that he probably didn't know the Lord until later. Uh, I don't tend to take that position, but I know that that's a possibility. Some people have taken that. What else?
1: Just personally, uh, when I first read Job, uh, I, just the just the danger of judging others—that um, you cannot tell what's going on in someone's life and go in there and just mm. automatically say, "Oh, this is happening because of such and such." Yeah. Just that danger of trying to connect dots when you don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I know that as whenever I think of Job, it's
0: uh. what I always think. Not to judge. Yeah. That's To a good, encourage someone going through a trial. Yeah. And, Julie, did you have something? I, I just like what you said about
1: uh, God was making the holiest man on earth more holy. And that God was using Satan's evil attempts to destroy Joe, to purify his heart. And God had to explain why to Joe, but all of this made him.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I think that's a good thing to remember that uh, all this evil that came upon him, God had a good purpose in it. That's you know it's that great mystery how something can be evil in itself and yet God is yet using it for good. Um, Satan meant it for evil. God meant it for good. <clears throat> David, did you have something yet? Yeah.
2: The revealed uh, word of God here in front of us, but many times there will be things that come across our lives that we don't know the answer to. We don't know why it's happening. And it's not up to us necessarily to try and figure out the why. But just the reality that God is in control, and just you see that there, especially in the latter half, or the last few chapters there were. I mean Job can't answer any of that. He thought, you know, that he might have an answer
0: or was confused by it, but God just shows his glory and his power and calling all. Yeah. You can't can't answer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Charles. Um, I was speaking on that the, that message of understanding tribulation and one of the one of the well, the first point is just that every one of those pictures that um, I looked at that message, like the pruning of the vine and the chastening of a son and the purifying of another. The first thing that God is telling us is the preciousness of the believer in the sight of God. And that's usually whenever someone falls into a severe trial that they start to question whether they've done something wrong or, whether, or if God doesn't love me or I've displeased Him. Yeah. And in the, you know, Jesus said every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. It's a mark of his love toward us. And, you know, the Father disciplines this, the Son. And uh, the goal is what you purify. And it just, while I was giving that message, um, I don't know if I've ever thought of this before, but it just came to me. Job is such a good example of that. Because it was, it was, Precisely because he was pleasing God, he mm-hmm. brings it up to the devil and says, You know, there's no one like him on the earth. Right. Um, yeah. Blameless and upright man, fears God, turns mm-hmm. away from evil. Mm-hmm. And that was why he was the target. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that you brought out one time is that it was not just that he was going through trials, but he went through. It was in every area, like his children killed, and his he loses all his money, and he's he loses his health. He's covered with all these sores, and it's like sometimes when people fall into trial, we we think, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing anything wrong. But when they when they get them back to back, over and over, in all different areas, then you start thinking, well, maybe they have to, you know, maybe something going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this says was an application. All right, all right, all right.
1: Mm.
0: Anyone else, Jim?
2: This is kind of the sideline, sideline observation. Uh, you know, at the end, the Lord uh, commanded us three. He us three men to offer a burnt mm-hmm. sacrifice maybe and mm-hmm. that so pray God for them so do you think you know this is obedience to the Lord and they did it truly repent and you know, they truly know the Lord the
0: end? Or- I think so I think amazingly enough with all their bad theology um and bad attitude uh well I say this I think the Lord forgave them and uh um, it's, an, it's an example of the great mercy of God that, you know, He doesn't... He, not only does He bring Job to repentance, He brings these guys to repentance too. Well, let's... Uh, I've just written down some final thoughts here related to this section and some of this you've already said. But since it's in my notes, I'll say it again. Uh, This is actually the 11th message that I've given on the book of Job. And I think this will be the final one. And what we're looking at in this section from 7 to 17 uh, is um, back in you remember the great body of this book is is poetic. You have basically a poetic portrait of one man's incredible sufferings and trials and sorrow. It's a study in human nature. It's a study in the ways of God. But in this last section, it goes back, changes from poetry to prose again. And in this section we encounter some really amazing uh, and I, I think unexpected, unless you've read the book before, unexpected reversals. It's like here in these last ten verses, things just get changed around completely from the way things were going the, the rest of the book, or most all of the book. So, um, after Job repents of his wrong words and attitude towards the Lord... God speaks to the main spokesman uh, of the three friends, this man Eliphaz, and he expresses his anger because of their wrong words concerning God and Job. It's important, I think, to note that God emphasizes to them that they were wrong and that Job was right, and he emphasizes it. I mean, he, he just goes over and over saying, Job is my servant. This is my servant. He says it four times in two or three verses there. It wasn't just that their doctrine was wrong. It it was wrong, although, you've got to remember, a lot of the things they said to Job were right. There's a lot of good stuff they said. But they had one fundamental premise that they were going from related to sin and suffering, and it really got them off track and had them really do harm to Job. They had judged Job wrongly condemning him because of their false premise. And that what did that do? That further devastated an already beat down devastated man. Sorrowful, hurting person and they came along and just hurt him more. And this was Again, God's servant they were doing that to. They had brought up many unsupported accusations against this godly man. And what they inadvertently were doing was the work of Satan. They were doing the work of the adversary. They were doing the work of the accuser. They didn't realize it, but that's exactly what they were doing they were furthering the cruelty of Satan towards this man, all the while thinking they were defending God. So what a shock it must have been for these three guys, for them to hear God say, you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. I mean, this must have just floored them, if you think of the position they've been taking so adamantly over and over for chapter after chapter, and God shows up and says, You've not said the right thing concerning my servant Job. Probably an even greater shock and humiliation was that they needed to have this man, Job, the one they considered such a sinner, they needed to have him pray for them. What a reversal! These friends had viewed him as an outcast from God. Now the only way they could be restored to God was to go to him through Job's intercession. Far from being Job's enemy, Job was God's servant, and God viewed him that way. He wasn't an enemy of God, which is what they'd been saying all along. The friends were terribly wrong in how they had portrayed both God and Job. So Job had been right in maintaining his integrity. He he went too far in that, and demanded that God vindicate him right now before his friends. I I don't even think it's wrong to desire vindication. But to de, to say to demand God, you've got to do this now. You've got to show up and vindicate me before these. That's that was a wrong attitude there. You know, even the saints in heaven say, How long, O Lord? So it's not a wrong attitude to, uh, to, to want to see justice done in vindication. Here's a little insight that I, I wouldn't have picked up on apart from reading some commentators. This is, this is by D.A. Carson, and this concerns the three friends and their wrong words towards Job. Carson says this, Although they that is the three friends are trying to defend God, their reductionistic theology that idea of sin brings suffering you're suffering, therefore you must sin, uh, you must be a terrible sinner, and you know if you just live righteously, God would pros- physically prosper you that's a he calls that a reductionistic theology that type of theology ended up offering Job a temptation, their reductionistic theology ends up offering Job a temptation, to confess sins that weren't there in order to try to retrieve his prosperity. If Job had succumbed, it would have meant that Job, Job cared more for the prosperity than for his integrity or for the Lord himself, and the Lord would have lost the wager. Isn't that incredible? If he would have done what these three friends were saying, he would have, you know, really denied the Lord. The wager he's talking about is, you know, what Satan said to to God. He said, well, Job serves you because you just take care of him so well and he does it for what he can get out of you. That's what Satan said. He said, you know, if you take all that away, he'll curse you. And... uh so, if, if Job would have succumbed to what these friends have said, he would have really ended up denying the Lord. Their counsel, if followed, would have actually led Job away from the Lord. Job would have been reduced to, to being yet one more person interested in seeking God for merely personal gain. So I thought that was a quite an insight job never abandons his faith in god though sometimes in his extreme pain and sorrow and suffering he says some things about god that were wrong and he shouldn't have said job never curses god as satan said he would though in his terrible circumstances he does curse the day in which he was born Job never turns from ultimate trust in God, though he wrestles with God because he cannot understand the injustice he sees in the world and in his own circumstances. But here's the thing. In his clearer moments, I mean, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his suffering, in his clearer moments, he would say things like, I know my Redeemer lives. And he would say things like, He knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God tried him, and he did come forth as gold. He repented of those wrong things. He said things like, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What a statement of of trust. In the midst of all the wrong things, there was a core of faith and trust that was there in this man. What we see in this man, Job, are real struggles, the real struggles of a believer, honestly groping for answers in a time of lesser light. He didn't have near the revelation we have. Here was a man that would not be put off with glib, superficial, and sometimes erroneous answers of others. His honest questions were more pleasing to God than his friends' superficial answers. I think another thing that shows the godliness of this man, and we've brought this out from the questions, is his response to the needs of his friends for his intercession. God says, Job will pray for you. God just says, he'll do this. Job will pray for you. Go to him, he'll pray for you. There's no malice or a vindicative attitude towards these who had treated him so terribly if you think of all that they did to him and said about him even making up false accusations and things rather than that kind of attitude that could have been there you know he could have could have at least said guys I told you so I told you that I wasn't being punished for my sins back there he simply were just told he prayed for him he became the intercessor for his accusers and he does it without apparently without any hesitation i think that you know one of the things that was brought up in his dealings with these men was he was passionate in his desire to be vindicated before them but that I think, was forgotten once he repented. And he knew that his fellowship with God was restored. Once once those first seven or six verses of chapter 42 took place, I think that whole desire for vindication was taken care of. Then God did vindicate him, you see, after he repented. Well, I think... Uh, We brought this out, but I think we also seem to see the kindness of God to these three friends. God provides a way for their sin to be forgiven. If God had treated them according to their standard of strict justice, their view of God's justice, immediate justice, they would have already been judged and condemned. But God didn't do that. He was merciful to them. So we see God's kindness not only in Job's life, but also in that of his friends. I think, it's, I think it's important to realize that even as he was praying for those friends, his fortune hadn't been restored yet. He may well have still been in the ash heap. They may have come to him there in the, in the dump where he was sitting scraping his sores, but it says, that amazing word there in verse 10, when, when he prayed for his friends, the Lord increased. He restored him. He was restored when he prayed for his friends. How did, he, how did God restore that fortune? Well, it's kind of amazing because his family and friends that had basically deserted him, not these three friends, but other friends and his immediate family, Who were told in the book had basically taken the position of he must have sinned bad and just kind of stayed out of his life left him alone in his misery they came and through small kindnesses from his brothers and sisters and uh, others that he'd known before his fortune was restored at least it was the beginning of it and then god blessed that and he ended up having twice as much as he had before the small amount of money and gold was blessed by God and he was restored twofold you might say well you know he got twice as many sheep and twice as many camels and oxen but he only got seven sons and three daughters and that's what he had before but there's a way in which even that was doubled for him because if you read on It says, and after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. He had more even in that area there. That doesn't mean there wasn't still sorrow in his heart for these lost loved ones of the past, but God abundantly restored even in in the realm of his family. We see the great goodness of God. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Again, I think that since Job apparently lived before any clear ideas about heaven and the afterlife have been revealed, God vindicates him and restores his possessions in this present life. We know that in the New Testament, for us, this is job 's life is an, is intended as an example of the glory and the happiness that awaits every true child of God in heaven, not necessarily here on earth but there's even a way i I forgot to bring this out when we were talking about that question number four there's even a way in which On earth, those things are going to be a reality for the believer because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth someday in which righteousness dwells. The the book of Job, for us, really points to what God will yet do in the future. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And even the way, I think this is significant, even the way James uses Job, in the New Testament the the context is this be patient therefore brethren until the coming of the Lord that's the context in other words we don't expect to have all this physically the blessings here in this life but we do know that God is going to bless his people and that the Lord's dealings are always full of compassion and and merciful so in conclusion uh, I just want to say this we've just really scratched the surface of this book we spent 11 times on it but there's so much in this it it is a a complex book it's a profound book there's many riches that we haven't dug out of it yet and uh, so I would encourage you to read it often and even if i was gonna tonight if i wanted to try to summarize what we've looked at i couldn't do it there's been so many points so many things that we've uh, dealt with that are important truths but to me there's one thing that stands out as i look at the book overall uh, and that's this i'm going to say it in a few different ways but it's really the same same thing no matter how bad things get we must always believe that God is just and good. No matter how things look, the bottom line is we must believe in a just and good God. He's worthy of our complete trust even when we can't understand what's going on and when the circumstances seem to call His goodness into question. And there will be times like that. Our trust in God is ultimately based on our confidence in his character who he is rather than an explanation of our circumstances why he does what he does we many times we won't know why something happens but we don't our trust is not based on understanding why it's based on who he is the character of God and we you know we have a much clearer understanding of the character of God than Job did. Some things in this life will remain unexplained and are probably beyond our capacity to understand, which just means we've got to trust the one who does understand, and we know that he cares for us. In summary, God may for a season allow adversity and pain and sorrow but his love endures forever. That's, that, to me, is the what the book's all about. God has his purposes in allowing adversity and pain and sorrow, but even if we don't understand the why, we know this. God cares. His love endures forever. This me, we must always believe, no matter what happens. And that, to me, is the great lesson of the book, amongst many other important lessons. Well, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for this book, a a very unique book. And even in the rest of the scriptures, there's nothing quite like it. And uh, we're thankful that you saw fit to put this account of this man's life in Your Word for us to contemplate and consider and uh, recognize uh, that though there's things that we won't understand, we can trust You. We pray You'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.